0: Good evening, everyone. My special guest tonight is Kassiana Singh. The title of her amazing new book is Woman by the Door. Welcome, Kassiana, to the program.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having
0: me. I'm, I am Oh, a- you're more than welcome. Great, Great. I'm glad you're with me. We're going to go on a poetic journey for the next hour or so. I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and you're going to share your work, and we're just going to talk can allow poetry to resonate through both of our bodies, all right?
1: Absolutely. I'm all in. All
0: right. All right. (laughs) Uh, My first question that I ask everybody, what is poetry?
1: Wow. Of course, you had to come up with that question, right? Which is funny. We we don't think about as often as we should think about. And I'm going to take the liberty of giving you a two-pronged answer, if I'm permitted. The first is, what's my definition of poetry? Kashyana's definition of poetry. And the answer to that is, it's the song of life. It's my grandmother humming a prayer as she went about her domestic day. It's my grandfather chanting as he tied his turban. I, I come from a community where the men mostly wear turbans, and my grandfather chanting the prayer, both in the ritual of tying the turban, as well as the words themselves that he chanted, uh, were were poetry for me. And then my father, my father conversing with whatever we may call the supreme cosmic force in a Mm one-on-one manner, like he was speaking to a partner on a joint mission. And he would address that force one-on-one loud with everybody around him in the family without fail every time that he stepped out of home to fulfill his role as a police officer. So personally, to me, that is poetry, Uh, it's the sounds, it's the oral traditions, and the rituals that seep into your bodies and create an intergenerational, a cross-cultural kinship. And that results in what we want all poetry to do, which is resonance, right? Which doesn't occur only through the evocative use of language, uh, but it's, it's the silences between the words that used in poetry. And the examples that I gave you, I mentioned mm-hmm. my grandfather tying his turban and my grandmother going about her domestic duties and my father mm-hmm. having a one-on-one conversation. The, mm-hmm. the words became a part of my body, but their silences, their expressions, the tone on how they said what they said also became a part of my, my poetic identity as I started to... Move towards poetry. Wow, so that's very my very definition. nice. <laughs> that's a
0: beautiful <laughs> let's, definition. Let's thank you.
1: The, yeah, thank you. Let's come to the for a second on the on the mm-hmm. academic definition, right? And we all yes. know it's from the Greek <laughs> the Greek term poesies or poesy or however you pronounce that. But the but the thing that stood with me was something one of my mentors shared, which is the difference between praxis and poesy. Mm-hmm. And practice is when actions are performed because of an intrinsic motivation, meaning doing the action for itself, whereas poetry is actions that are performed because of a motivation outside of what you're doing. And that juxtaposition, because poetry is also all about juxtaposition, helps me understand intrinsically why poetry is different from just writing something else on documenting wow. it. Because the motivation wow. of poetry is something outside of your own self.
0: Wow. <laughs> That's a wonderful definition as well. <laughs> You're on it tonight, Kostiana. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so we know <laughs> what it is from a personal and a professional perspective. Why is it important, my friend? Why is it important?
1: oh well uh couldn't be more important than today i say that Mm -hmm. michael but i then pause and say many generations probably have said the very same thing Mm -hmm. right and we say that every it is said that every 30 years right history or the circumstances of the earth or the universe or the cosmos repeat themselves so therefore keeping that in mind To me, the most important reason why poetry is is important is because poetry serves as being witness. It serves Mm -hmm. right, as being both a refuge and a spotlight on that which is most relevant. Maybe most painful, but most relevant. And through that lens, it draws documentation together. It states Mm -hmm. the problem. It opens space. Remember what I said about the silence and the emptiness is as important as the words. So it opens the yes. space for dialogue. And mm-hmm. through that, it becomes a beacon of hope and possibilities. And, and the last thing I'll say is the reason poetry as witness becomes important is because it asks questions. Mm. Right? Wow. So it's never mm-hmm. about the answers, but poetry either directly asks questions or creates... An engagement through which questions start to get asked. To me, that's why oh. poetry is important.
0: <laughs> Kashyama, I'm already in awe of you. Please share a poem.
1: All right. I will share a poem, and I will share many poems, but I'm going to yes. start in light of what we've just defined and, and the brilliant questions about what is poetry and why is it important? I'm going to start with a poem called Country. And this poem is from my book that you just mentioned, which is A Woman by the Door. It's come out with Apprentice House Press and available anywhere that you buy your books. And here's how it goes. Country. The one caveat I would say for anybody who's listening, and for you as well, Michael, is that to me, yes. again, country is not necessarily where I'm sitting. I'm calling in Mm -hmm. today from Boston. I live in North Carolina. Uh, But country to me is any place that I have inhabited, either in spirit or in person. Uh, And specifically, therefore, this poem becomes a poem about my country of my birth, which is India, and the country of my home, which is the United States. All right. Country. When did you stop listening to your own become unwilling to look up into our eyes, look away from your own opiate limbs, look away from birthmarks on your skin, look away from the falling blisters of your eyes? When did you become so lazy that you let the claws of your feet burrow deep, trapped in your own blemished ground, unmoving even when being eaten alive? unmoving even when being eaten alive by the blooming anguish of your people, by odors from floating carcasses of your soul, by the waves that beat against the sunken scales of your ghosts, by sordid drippings of fleas fleeing your own mouth. At this very moment, I am a lighthouse standing in watch, I am carving my solitary light into ripples, each ripple a caterpillar pupating, a butterfly pulsating to panchakritya of Tandav dance, its wings flapping to the spitting fire of a trillion monarchs, unwilling to die a pause until you listen to the whistling of their alliterative song. They will circle you into an orchestrated garland, evacuating your cauldron of prayers and pledges until you hear their buzzing silence. They will drink incessantly of your matted milkweed. They will churn intemperate until you hear anew. For if you don't, an apocalypse is coming closer and closer and closer towards your shore. You have time now to gaze outwards and listen. To act before being engulfed into the whirlpool of growling stillness to become the country we knew. To become the country we knew. Thank you. That was country. Oh, oh, oh,
0: wow, Kashyana! There is such Thank power you. in that piece. What is Thank the purpose you. of that poem? What's the purpose of that poem, Kashyana? Tell
1: me. Uh, it it goes to what I said about poetry being playing the role of witness, and mm-hmm. and I think it is. In, oh, We'll we'll talk a little more. I mean, I think the very act of writing is political. You don't have to Mm -hmm. write a political poem to be political. The fact that you're picking up your pen and writing down something and putting down language is political. To me, this poem Mm -hmm. and the purpose is that it's speaking directly to the country without the middlemen involved. And I think all of us have a right to speak to the land, to the country, directly, right, just like my father spoke to the universe directly, one-on-one, and, and say, this is my problem, my dear friend, and this is what I need you to do to address it. That's the purpose of this poem.
0: Wow. Now, that poem is in your new collection.
1: Am I correct? That is right. It is in Woman by the Door.
0: Woman by the Door. That's what we're going to talk about now. Let's shift there. What inspired the book?
1: What inspired the book? Uh, the in, in logistically, the, this book, "Woman by the Door," is a conglomeration of poems that came together um, in approximately the last ten years, which is when I made my transition uh, from India to the U.S. All right. So that's just a logistic, logistical concept. Uh, the poems, though, while they may have come together in, the last, in those 10 years, are not about the 10 years, right? They, they span lifetimes. They span lifetimes before, meaning my childhood. They span memory, meaning memory of others that I was influenced by. And they also move into the current state, which is poem, the poem. The book came together at a time again, wrestling to the poem country, when both the countries that I care the most about were going through a very turbulent thing over the last 10 years, and I don't need to be specific about what. And then, of course, there was the pandemic. So all yes. of that moved into the poems, into the book in some shape, manner, and form. Uh, but really what, I, what the book is about, which is what the title says, it's about transition right? There are three spaces in the book. There is the woman, there is the door, and there is the threshold. And all of the poems in the book move in and out of these three places in some shape, manner, and form. Uh, And so to your point, as a woman, I was going through a transition. Like I said, Mm -hmm. my country was going through a transition I moved mm-hmm. with my daughter who was 16 years old. So I was going through a transition in my relationship. I lived a long distance marriage. I was going through a transition in that. And I was also going through a transition in my bodily experience because I was entering menopause and shifting right. my bodily state to a different place yes. as well. So in mm-hmm. a sense, the book is about transition of any kind and I'll just go a step ahead and say in my opinion and my experience, all poetry mm-hmm. is really about displacement or transition in some shape, manner, or form.
0: Well, before we move on, tell me more about this displacement. That's a different kind of making. I've never heard anyone make that statement before. Tell me about the displacement piece.
1: Well, I, so poetry, and we, we can go back to, to the greatest poets, right? We can pick up people like the the current, let me just pick up Ira Limon because of her mm-hmm. being the latest uh, poet laureate of the country, right? Yes. Let's talk about her or let's talk about Lely Long Soldier or let's talk about Joy Harjo or let's talk about a, a lot of South Asian poets that, that are extremely famous uh, for what they've done. All of the mm-hmm. poetry that I am inspired by is driven by some sense of displacement, and the displacement could be physical, right? In my case, for example, I moved countries, so there was a geographical shift. It could be emotional, meaning you're going through displacement in your relationship, and the relationship does not always have to be a romantic relationship. It could be relationships of any kind, right? Parents and children and siblings and community and and the the place you've grown up in and belong to and the rituals, right? All of that is emotional. Um, and and then the last is actually displacement of language, right? Uh, I, Ocean Wong says, if you read him, Michael, he says that a lot of poets of color and him being a Vietnamese poet have to start yes. from a different place because of the displacement that they've had both, in terms of their generational displacement, but also the fact that they are adopting, right, new language and new canons of literature uh, as well. So those are all the displacements that come into being. I'm I wouldn't, I'm still a learner, I'm nowhere a poet, I'm trying to learn poetry and I can say in my case, the displacement or the distance from my home country and the people that I had spent half my life with allowed me to write and rewrite my poetry, whether it was about home, grief, or childhood, with a better sense of clarity and equilibrium. That's what Displacement did to me.
0: Well, have you had an opportunity to write about your theory, the Displacement Theory? I like that. Have you written about
1: it, oh, I, I will. I will take your. I will take your hint and go there. But no, I. Yet <laughs> I
0: think honestly, I think you should, and you should submit it to the Journal of Poetry Therapy. To be quite honest, um, we'll, I'll share some we'll other journals ahead. with you. That would be perfect. All right. Okay. 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 (laughs) Let's (laughs) focus (laughs) again. That was beautiful. (laughs) So back to the book. (laughs) If you had to convince a friend or colleague to purchase your book, what would you tell them?
1: I would tell them that this, the book uh, is A, buy it. For sure, thank you because you should support poetry. Number one. Yes. <laughs> but 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 number two, <laughs> right? We shouldn't justify buying poetry, I thought. Uh, but but I think number two is um, it's a it's a journey. It, this book will take you through a journey, uh, which, like I said, the journey of a woman uh, as she stands right at a different shore, uh, and the shore both metaphorical and actual and mm-hmm. that's one angle of it the other angle of it is that it w- it pays tribute i am not apologetic about the cultural matrix i belong to so the poem is replete with senses with tastes there are poems emerging out of the kitchen uh, right and and every time My biggest, most favorite kitchen poem is Joy Harjo's poem, right, with the kitchen table. Uh, But there are poems about activities of mothers, fathers, grandfathers, grandmothers. And it doesn't matter that those are Kashyana's references, because every single Mm -hmm. person reading them will find either a character or a situation to make a connect with and relate to in this book.
0: All right. Please share a poem.
1: All right, uh, since I spoke about the kitchen, this was not what I was going to read and the sequence, but I'm going to go there, because I mm-hmm. think it makes sense. And the poem is called, In My Nani's House, Kurds and Wave Were a Religion. And as context, this is again from Woman by the Door, um, and Nani, in my context, is maternal grandmother. And here's, I'm going to jump in and read it now, Michael. In my nani's yes. house, Kurds and way for a religion. Rendered warm, the milk in homage to perfect temperature, every drop just enough, dripping a muted prayer on nani's wrist. Stately, it would reside on the dining table in a glazed terracotta pot, its tenderness and immaculate gospel. Spoonful smooth like rays of moon and attentive healing of my acidic chest, kindness revealed after rested nights. Persisting in pause and patience in my nanny's house, sallow in its maturing, whisked tidily into incubation, the ritual of curd making, harnessed my attention for precision and process for transformation. An unveiling of the delectable after-desire on albester morning, always a ceremony. I have failed to assemble curd like that. I have failed to assemble curd like that. Mine settles in watery mouthfuls of regret. It tastes hollow like an afterthought, forgetting to tighten its surface muscles. It collects into itself, refusing to be real curd, metamorphized, metamorphosized. I have tried to do so much what Nani did, but the curd I make always looks like half-fulfilled wishes. As if it is telling me to have more patience, wants me to breathe in, breathe out, and stir the silence. The chewy curd I assemble is reluctant, uncondensed, unlike the metabolic grape in my nanny's house. Sometimes I wish... I had stood beside her more often, watched her more closely, her eyes an emblem of Agni, Akash and Expanse in her arms. I wish I knew that she was Prithvi, holding hostage and intoxication. I wish I had gathered stillness. I wish I had surrendered my questions to making of Kurt. There she is, looking at me sideways. Sari Palu sweeping to her waist a shining plate pomegranate Renate. Wow. That's the end <laughs> of that poem. Oh. Wow. And I, I use as you will see, Michael, if I can yes. if I can share as I have referred yes. the culture so first of all, curd making is very much an Eastern kitchen tradition. You mm-hmm. we in the eastern countries set our own curds, right? We don't go purchase the curds from a Walmart or a or a Target uh, like like we buy a pack, packs of yogurt here. So we set mm-hmm. our own curd, and that's a ritual in every family, and that's the process I'm speaking about. But I do use language and terminology from Hindi or Urdu, which is the two languages. Uh, that I grew up with, and I'll go to the extent since you spoke about woman by the door, yes. me and my publisher, Apprentice House Press, made a conscious decision to actually not have any references explaining those words because mm. it's expected that if you enjoy poetry and you listen and read poetry, it should, it should reach to you in some way. Right, and then if it doesn't, and you'd like to dip in further and find your own meaning, there are ways to find meanings of these words. Right, so just just to explain. That being said, I use words like Agni. Her eyes, an emblem of Agni. Agni means fire. Akash, mm-hmm. an expanse in her arms. Akash means the sky. So the sky, an expanse in her arms. I wish I knew then. As she was Prithvi. Prithvi is earth. So I'm referring to the three elements: fire, earth, and air or sky, in this these
0: world. Oh, wow! Oh, well, incredible. You know, I was reading along with you, and
1: thank I'm off you. The page
0: here. <laughs> I, wanted you you to, <laughs> I wanted to know whether you plan to. I wanted to know whether you plan to record an audio version.
1: Oh, I you know, it's been on my mind. I just haven't got to it. And also because um, I'll have to do some research, right? I'm, I'm sure I'll have to kind of uh, find a way to do it myself. So it's just, just yes. laziness plus I'll have to invest <laughs> the time to do it. But I do well, want to do
0: it. <laughs> well, I think you should because the question I want to ask is your voice is so powerful. Your last name is Sing. You sing also when you share.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: So what I want to know is, what is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice? Both are so powerful.
1: Thank you so much for saying that. That means a lot to me. Um, And I'm Mm -hmm. going to answer, I think this is another question that you'll have, which is, how, I, how did I come into poetry? So I'm gonna answer both the yes. questions together. Oh, okay. because <laughs> it's a connection. All, you know, right, all right, <laughs> <Yeah>. all right, all right. <laughs> so um, in terms of relationship between the speaking and the written voice, um, I think of them as twins. One is mm. an extension of the other. Uh, sometimes they, these twins have a symbiotic relationship, Michael right so one is almost uh, in a, in the in the manner that the symbiotic relationship works is feeding off the other and it's never yes. one always sometimes the written voice is feeding off the speaking voice and sometimes the 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 written the the speaking voice is feeding off the written voice um i will say that how a poem sounds is an important litmus test for when I consider a poem done. I do read right. out loud as I am writing in terms of okay. my process. That being said, I have had occasions where I myself am surprised on what comes, comes out in my verbal reading, uh, mm-hmm. in a, in a bodily way, in almost like a bodily experience. And if there have been situations, like the first time I read this Nani poem, I had tears um mm-hmm. in in my eyes and in my body and so there there are occasions when i'm reading a poem that i've read like academically for the purpose of the book right for putting the book together but when i read it in a reading like this audience with somebody else there's a bodily experience that happens and i don't know mm-hmm. how to answer that but that does happen um mm-hmm. i will come back to therefore where poetry began for me or where encouragement happened uh, in terms of poetry and uh, Casablanca and the boy stood on the burning deck is a poem that I learned and my father taught us to read out loud on stage. And my earliest memory of spoken poetry is that (laughs) poem.
0: And the fact that he was
1: like after dinner, Stand and have us right, go through the the inflections and the voice and the gestures and how you would be reading that poem. So I just wanted to make that connection that that's a poem that's very <laughs> dear to me for all the reasons that I mentioned, but also like that was my first spoken poem.
0: Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd like you to do, please share one more, more poem before we take a quick break. I okay. enjoy listening. I to
1: you. will. Thank you so much i'm going to read a poem that shifts the that shifts the focus a little bit uh, this This poem is again from Woman by the Door and the book also uh, processes grief and I mentioned distance and being geographically distant seven thousand miles away from the situation of that grief or loss or in this case mm-hmm. death of a loved one and distance from the people with whom I experienced that loss allowed me to write about it and maybe in a way served as a source of catharsis for it. So this poem is called just a process after all. And the epigram says in our, in our village, Funerals is the, is, the, is the name of the poem by James Laughlin, and it says, in our village are shot and to the point. And here's how the poem goes, just a process after all. The hustle of the five days after you, they prescribe 10 to 30 days of mourning, the completion of mandatory actions like curdled milk, ghee, Oil lamps, candles, pristine sheets, tilted tears, jasmine-filled condolences, food, and guests. Your hands placed in the position of prayer as the floor was sprinkled with water, purification, release, rebirth. Meanwhile, a forgotten notebook still open at your desk. Your baritone voice barely gathered inside the cold walls of an urn cannot bring ashes home. Cannot bring ashes home or keep the urn in your room. Ashes don't germinate life. Ramification, release, fever. I feel you. I feel you almost grinning at the edge of the polished rim before the brass vessel bobbles away into the setting sun. The incense burns, sandalwood. Did you promise to reach me as soon as you arrive there? We gather at the dinner table, extended family and all. Purgation, relief, rebirth. Today, we serve Rajma Chaval. Tomorrow is chicken curry day. Exactly Mm. like you relished, marinated overnight, well-washed, clean. I wish you could hear them asking me if I would write something about the process of putting away life. I wish you could hear them asking me if I would write something about the process of putting away life. I wish you would come back, turn around for a day, so I could grab one soaked drop of your voice and nest its vibration within my ribcage salvation. Thank you. Oh, wow.
0: We'll be right back. Thank you. Thank you. Kashyana, a question for you. Yes, sir. <laughs> do you think you were meant to be a
1: poet? Oh, wow, that's hard. you you're you're asking all hard questions. Well, I don't know whether. I was
0: <laughs> You know my show. <laughs> you know that's why they pay me the big bucks, Kashyana, to ask the of tough questions. They do. <laughs> Uh, well, and, and
1: and there are no wrong answers, right? So, well, I don't know whether I was meant to be a poet, but I know mm-hmm. that I have to write to exist, and to exist mm-hmm. to be better at whatever else I do, right? Whether it's what I do to your my to your point to get some bucks in because a poet doesn't get the bucks in, uh, whatever yes. I do to engage with with community, with family, with my grandchild. I'm a proud mother of a one-year-old <laughs> grandson. Nice. Um, Very nice. And so to me, if if that answers by corollary, that, that means I was meant to be a poet and so be it. Uh, but mm-hmm. I, I know that I have to write to be able to exist.
0: All right. All right. So what surprises you most about being a poet? What have you learned about yourself as you think about poetry?
1: Yeah.
0: Who are you? Yeah. Well, I, I know what this is what I want to know. Do you live your life like it's a poem? That's what I want to know. That's the question.
1: I will say yes. Um, okay. And I go I go by my life's mantra and I you'll you'll i you will agree as to why I'm saying yes. My life Mm -hmm. mantra is work as worship. And that's, by the way, my TEDx talk as well. Uh, If you Mm -hmm. haven't heard it, I would request you to do so. And Mm -hmm. when I say that work is worship, I would therefore then say I do live my life like it's a prayer. And Mm -hmm. therefore, again, by that context, a prayer is a poem. And so then, therefore, mm. I'm living my life like a poem.
0: <laughs> wow. You, something told me to ask you that in that way. In that
1: way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. told yeah. You. And, and, and you said what, what you're finding out about yourself, right? I mean, I think... Yes. I, we said earlier that poetry is about the questions... And so Mm -hmm. therefore, when I'm writing, I'm also always asking the questions, right, about am I really living my life as Mm -hmm. I claim to be, which is like worship? Am Mm -hmm. I, right, am I sweating the small stuff or am I focused Mm -hmm. on the big rock? And that goes to the extent of, and I'll say this, which might be surprising, but I have let poetry inform me at my corporate workplace, and mm-hmm. and one would never put relate the two together, right? The, the, mm-hmm. I, maybe I'm a corporate slave in my other life, but <laughs> I relish the other life as much, a because that I live it like it's worship every day, mm-hmm. and B because mm-hmm. I let my poetry inform how I bring myself to the table every day in my in the boardroom as much as how I bring myself to the page. Wow.
0: Beautiful. Well let me ask this before you share another poem. Has a poem that you've written ever humbled or frightened you? One of your own?
1: Yes. Yes. Tell me And that's the poem I'm going to read next. (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay. uh, it's well, funny, we are sleep right? tonight <laughs> <laughs> No, we didn't <laughs> All right, I'm ready uh. Uh,
1: may, So maybe we reserve the why for after reading the poem Because I think the poem should answer the question
0: All right All
1: right um, I mentioned at the beginning about time of the turban And this poem is called Turban or pagri, and pagri is the word for service. All my writing was born into the folds of my father's pagri, one in each fold of his khaki, cotton, starched, smooth, sturdy. I attempted to shape stanzas with my tongue while my hands pulled stretched, unbound all the six yards of cloth, unfurling beginnings. I proudly held at one end on mornings when I was called upon to help twist the length of the landscape. That landscape, that moment, had a spirituality, a gravitas. It snatched at my throat, settling into creased circles. My voice had so much to say. Instead, in quiet observation, I gave it all my care, all my curiosity. His prayer had a very specific tempo. I never dared disturb it. I saw an intimate conversation sprouting into the empty spaces of teacher and disciple. Unsent. A sacred Hum became audible. I heard stories being revealed as elders sang hymns in waves. Gentle metaphors were formed in faith as a circular wrapping folded and unfolded words. They became mine, unborn into me as I held the fabric taught. What taught, letter, as I held the fabric taught? What start letters, my fingers at the edge of a long pagri, he so reticently pulled at the other. Tugging just so, he said to me, each time we symmetrically styled a turban in performance together. You, my daughter, my paw. Pagri, turban.
0: Thank mm-hmm. you. Wow, you just want to sit for a moment and allow that to to soak in. Yes,
1: I mean I always need a second after I read mm-hmm. or speak that out aloud. Yes, um, yes, I understand. Thugly is a turban worn. My, I said I belong to a community um, in this particular poem, right? We, it's referring to the turban worn by Sikh men. Um, mm-hmm. What is not said and what probably is good context is that ritual, which you probably understood of tying and wearing. The pagri is a is a very um, is a moment of great pride. So I say in the poem, on mornings that I was called upon to tie the pagri. Mm-hmm. Not everybody in the household is called upon to help the mm-hmm. man of the house tie the, 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 the pagri or the turban. So the fact Mm -hmm. that my father was calling upon me, his older daughter, Mm -hmm. in a way meant he's giving me the position of his oldest child, right? Somebody who's going to carry forward his legacy. And so there's Mm -hmm. a physical act of tying, there is the emotional act of the bonding, and there's the unspoken spaces about what others did with that moment, right? And like I said earlier, the prayer that he would be humming as we were going about that, that act. Uh, so wow. again, something that fed into me being who I am today. And I'll, I'll close by answering your question, Michael, on why this poem mm-hmm. scares me, if it isn't obvious. is It scares me, number one, that this poem came to me. Not many of mm. my poems, can I say, came to me. Like this just came, it, it asked to be written. And it got written in one go. I always make edits like we all do. But the essence of the poem has stayed since the day I was forced to write it. So that's the mm-hmm. reason it scares me. Because yes. that means something like that can happen and happen again. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was almost like an out-of-body experience. And mm-hmm. uh, the reason, of course, I'm I'm also proud of me it and it impacts me so much is because it is not just about me it's about every girl who's been in my position whether it's in the act of tying a turban or some other ritual with Mm -hmm. with the father or the father figure and i think it connects to all of us as women as young women right growing up wow
0: you know that brings up a question and this is I ask this every week. So uh-huh. much is happening in the world, Cassiana. The good, the bad, the ugly, and the indifferent. What is the role yeah. of a poet in modern-day society? A
1: great question. I've uh, thought of that. That surprisingly most of your other questions is, you 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 kind of put people on the spot right with your brilliant questions <laughs> yes I do. Yeah, that's, that's my goal <laughs> <laughs>
0: i want to trip uh, people I, up <laughs> 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 you you are me. Shake us all <laughs> <away>. <laughs> oh. so, but yes yeah, so
1: this this is a question again i think we've been forced to ask this question about whatever we are doing in the world, right, whether poet or otherwise uh, in the last few years with everything that's happening around us. And Mm -hmm. I have crystallized my own answer to myself as three E's, E as in the alphabet E. So the role of a poet according to my own thinking is number one, that of engagement And by that, I mean engaging with facts and data and creating Mm -hmm. a space for witness. That of empowerment as the second Mm -hmm. and when I, the empowerment of hope, empowerment of community, empowerment of celebrating kindness, empowerment of celebrating relationships. And the last is that of a poet, the role of being an echo, E-C-H-O, which is yes. by how do you be an echo as a poet is by staying authentic to the lived experience. And that's the only way, right, your poem on the page or spoken will connect to anybody beyond your own self. And second echo, because echo happens in silent and empty spaces. So going back to what I said initially is creating... The silence through the poem, just like we said after reading turbans, let's let's take a minute. That will yes. initiate some kind of a shift or a transformation, whether it's in an individual or in a broader sense. That's not for the poet to control, but the poet can try and create that moment of silence or those moments of silence through the through the page and through the spoken word.
0: Have you written about this? <laughs>
1: have you written about this in scholarly
0: <laughs> journals?
1: No, have you? <laughs> <laughs> but, I'm, yeah. but, but, oh. but I'm going to find out with you afterwards. <laughs> yes.
0: You have a gold <laughs> mine of information that people need to, to hear about. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. We will do wow. it together. <laughs> yes, we'll do it together. We'll do it together. And I'll share this. I was tenured and promoted at Oregon State University to an associate professor on the use of poetry in the classroom. I was a professor of Counsel Education and Supervision, but it was through the scholarly mm-hmm. use of poetry and writing articles about right. poetry that helped me along. So right. yes, we can work together. We can work together.
1: <laughs> All, right.
0: All right. Okay. 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 folks. All great writers have great writing influences. Who are some of yours, and what makes them special and great in your eyes?
1: Yeah, a, a lot of influences. I I would say I'm influenced by almost every word that I read, right, because, again, a poet needs to be a good observer. Um, mm-hmm. But a few that that I will call out – actually, I'll call out one thing first, and then I'll get to actually some of the poets that, and their poems – I recently, when I say recent, it's probably the last um, maybe like four years, uh, got engaged with haiku, which is the Japanese form of poetry. And that has made a huge, I'm nowhere a haiku perfectionist, because the perfectionists of haiku will kill my haiku and say it's nowhere. But I'm very, very inspired by the haiku tradition for a couple of Mm -hmm. reasons. One, the concept of ma, M-A-A, in Japanese is inherent to the way they live, which is Mm -hmm. empty spaces and silences. And I've been speaking all the time about silences and empty spaces. So inherent to haiku is that those three lines of a few syllables need to have enough emptiness enough space, All right. and that's almost like a discipline that I'm trying to teach myself through that training. Number two is the act of reduction, right? So how do you keep peeling the layers of the onion to get to the kernel of what you want to say? And number three is haiku and Japanese poetry does not encourage or believe in any broad strokes, right? There's no broad strokes. It's everything is about the specific, right? It's about mm-hmm. the lily that bloomed at X time on X morning when the sun was shining at Y angle. Everything is about the specifics, almost like looking at the world through, through an eye of a needle. And again, I am training myself to learn to do that yes i'll I'll jump to the other influences, but I want to add again and repeat and say it that has changing not just poetry, which again maybe connects to the question about do you live your life like but also how I live my life and how I look at people mm-hmm. around me and conversations around me differently so that's one influence and a big one in the last few years Michael uh mm-hmm. specifically, I mentioned i I love, I can, if if I have to choose one poem that I'm buried in the grave with, it will be Joy Harjo's mm-hmm. Kitchen Table Poem.
0: Oh, wow. Uh,
1: again, for the simple reason that it's about, it's about so much that is real, so much that's about daily life, yet it's probably one of the most universal poems I've read. And mm-hmm. that's. That hits me differently each time. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: A couple of others, and, and Leila Chetty, if you haven't read her, her book is called, her latest book is Deluge. Uh, I think it's with Copper Canyon, if I'm not mistaken, but she talks about writing. What I've learned from her is writing from the body. She talks about an illness, and all of the book is around that, but it's extremely beautiful and Absolutely brilliant writing to learn from. Um, wow. I will be amiss, the book in my hand right now is The Hurting Kind by Eda Limon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I love her. Of course, I'm super delighted. You can see me hopping up and down in my chair that she is at the position she is today. But I've loved her always again for how she becomes so specific, right? About that bird on the bird feeder. She will, she talks about what that is and what color and what it's called and what it teaches her. And where. and again, she comes from a place of daily living but makes it extremely universal. So I'll summarize by saying, uh, and many, many others, I, I, I'll i take up your whole show if I keep going about it. I will mention one more <laughs> a contemporary um, writer for the sake of the audience that we sing. Joan Kwan mm-hmm. Glass. Uh, All right. is a, is an American-Korean poet who just published a book called Night Swim, and that is, is, you heard me read a poem about grief and loss, and her poem is entirely on loss uh, and suicide, and it's absolutely beautiful, that book.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: a lot of poems, a lot of poets, but these few will stand out if I've if I'm supposed to say these right at the end of my life and I have only two minutes to get the answer.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I want to know,
1: <laughs>
0: does writing energize or exhaust you? I can't tell. Does it energize or exhaust you?
1: <laughs> it, uh, it, ener- it does not exhaust me. It energizes. Me. Okay. There's no question. I have written every day for the last five years. Uh, whether Alrighty. it's a few words or a full poem, doesn't matter. And I've written at the end of 80-hour work weeks, 100-hour work weeks, and I've come to poetry to, to get my energy to ground me. So poetry is an anchor. It energizes me at all times.
0: Wow. You know, your book is 116, I think, pages. And how, many, how long did it take you to write this book? Uh,
1: it's over nine years.
0: Over nine years, wow, 111 pages information about the author at the end. What I want to know is, you know, one of the major parts of writing is the editing process. And some yeah. poets claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once it's out, there's not what you can do to correct or improve it, while others edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. What is your take on editing?
1: Uh, I absolutely believe in editing. You just heard me talk about the reduction process that I'm further gleaning from the hypo writing, which is to reduce, 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 till you get to Mm -hmm. the kernel of what you Mm -hmm. need. So I I absolutely believe uh, that reworking and editing is is extremely important. The two words that I think of my poetry and use, again, kitchen, right? I get a lot of my uh, references from the kitchen. So if you take that... Mm -hmm gestation and marination are the two words that come to mind so the so in my experience a poem stays in gestation till the conditions are ideal for them to be born and once born they then are expected by the receiver which is the poet who's lucky to receive that poem to keep mm-hmm. that poem in a marinated condition and continue to chisel it, redo it until the marination reaches just the right amount right of penetration yes. for it to then mm-hmm. be the final product. So that's how oh, I use wow. my words as well. <laughs> you know, <laughs>
0: we don't have too much time in our poetic journey, but I want to hear two poems. One, and then your grand finale. All right.
1: All right. Let's Do Um, I'm going to try and do one, and then after that, you tell me if there is still time. Okay, this one is a little long, but I do want to go there.
0: Yes, yes, Um, no problem. This
1: is from my first book, Shelling Peanuts and Stringing Words, and (laughs) the context of this poem is uh, the partition between uh, India and Pakistan in 1947. uh, Yes, when the British were ruling and the subcontinent was divided into two dominions, displaced nearly mm-hmm. 15 million people. It probably is the largest displacement uh, that has occurred in history, and it led to the end, the survival of families, intergenerational trauma, uh, et cetera, et cetera, right? That the country needed, quote-unquote, needed partition is another one of those myths of colonization, but we'll reserve that discussion for a different day and time. Um, I'll jump into the poem. This poem is called Mangrove. And it's about my father was uh, maybe between four to six years old uh, when the partition occurred and his family, his parents, his father and his sisters had to move to India from Pakistan. This is about him going back to his home in Pakistan uh, after many, many years. The poem is called Mangroves. Act 1. I set out once looking for mangroves with haunted stories about the withered woman with feet that turned inwards, the mangroves with secret spells hovering over lampposts, the mangroves where boys coupled and men gathered, to grope for survival, the mangroves that displaced the rotten smell of burning flesh as each canopy collapsed into an Asian pile. Act two, I waited. I waited to enter the looming arch of the house that echoed my mother's desires in entombed gold and treasures, the house that watched Silent, the gates that creaked, each howling ground, recollecting a plea, wretchedness of bruised bodies and naked shadows still lingering behind its walls. Act 3. I walked. I walked the platform again chugging wheels that recited memories of trains moving like ghosts between places, transporting phantoms, the platform I walked again covered me in suit of butchered history. I lifted, I lifted some soil, some scars, some sketches. I opened, I opened the tall gates and entered against my will into the portico to my dignities. I swaddled myself with the elegance of my mother, the industriousness of my father, the grit of my brothers, the sacrifice of my sisters, the flawlessness of their songs as they chanted, possessed to their dead and they're crippled and they're humiliated and they're young and newborn and unborn. Act 5. I bow in thankfulness and accept the warm tea served by the house lady on the veranda. Mangrove. Thank you.
0: Wow. Exquisite. 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 That's another
1: out. one that takes a little
0: to, to yes, breathe. Yes, it does, um, it does, especially the way that you share it. You truly live your poems, and I believe that is so important. If you've written it, live it, and uh, that's what you do. That's what you, you. do.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank mm-hmm. you, Michael. Um, I'm going to read and end with, since I referred to haiku, I will read a mm-hmm. series from Woman by the Door, and these are, mm-hmm. I wouldn't, again, dare to call them haiku, but they are haiku-inspired set of poems or a garland of poems, and they're called normal. Uh, the context is these are written during the pandemic, and the rest should come together, as I read. Normal. Rare blue moon, another ambulance, and blue light. So it's a three. Every poem is a three-line poem, and the way you read it is you repeat it. So I'll do the same, Michael. Where okay. blue moon, another ambulance and blue lights. Obituaries, age, color, caste, no bar. Obituaries, age, color, caste, no bar. Tourist season, an empty colosseum of silent coffins. Tourist season, an empty colosseum of silent coffins. War zones, a worldwide bunker of chaos. War zones, a worldwide bunker of chaos. Shallow breaths, grandma whispers a final blessing. Shallow breaths, grandma whispers a final blessing. Cancelled flights, the godwit migrates again this year cancelled flights the godwit migrates again this year ocean waves the dip and rise of economics ocean waves the dip and rise of economics thank you and it's called normal about a situation that was anything but but normal
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, oh Does knowing that your poems are published and out there in the world validate your being a poet, or are you content knowing they're out of your system?
1: Uh, you, you Michael, you broke off a little. Bit. Could you okay. please repeat okay. that last
0: question? Yes, yes, yes. Does knowing that your poems are published and out there in the world validate your being a poet, or are you content knowing they're out of your system?
1: I am never content that they're out of my system. (laughs) No. Like I said, (laughs) I am never content that they're out of my system. And it's not uncommon for me to rewrite and revisit a poem that's that's been published.
0: All Um, right. Well, I'd like to share a poem with you.
1: Thank you! I love Well,
0: it's one that you know. It's my first time reading it. It's George Harjo's poem, Perhaps the World Ends Here.
1: Oh, I loved you! Thank
0: <laughs> you! <laughs> Here we go. She can I do this? The Michael Anthony Ingram way. Here we go. The world begins at a kitchen table. No matter what, we must eat to live. The gifts of earth are brought and prepared, set on the table. So it's, been since, so it's been since creation, and it will go on. We chase chickens or dogs away from it. Babies teeth at the corners. They scrape their knees under it. It is here that children are given instructions of what it means to be human. We make men at it. We make women. At this table, we gossip. We call enemies and ghosts of lovers. Our dreams drink coffee with us as they put their arms around our children. They laughed at us at our poor falling down sails, and as we put ourselves back together once again at the table. The table has been a house in the rain, an umbrella in the sun. Wars have begun and ended at this table. It is a place to hide in the shadow of terror, a place to celebrate the terrible victory. We have given birth on this table and prepared our parents for burial here. At this table, we sing with joy, with sorrow, we pray of suffering and remorse, we give thanks. Perhaps the world will end at the kitchen table while we are laughing
1: and crying,
0: eating of the last sweet bite. Wow. That is a beautiful poem.
1: Oh, you read it beautifully. Thank you. I am both (laughs) laughing and crying. Thank you.
0: Well, you treated me all night with poetry, so I said, let me find that poem.
1: <laughs> if I do you. nothing else. <laughs> you, made, you made my day and week and month. I love it, and you read it so beautifully, as you always do. Thank you, Michael.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I don't want it to end, but... <sighs> things have to end. To what we, talking. Talking. we call it
1: a pause. It's not an end. We, we talk
0: again. <laughs> okay, no, that's true. Okay, here's a couple of things I want to ask you. What piece of advice would you give to your readers?
1: Oh, well, I am nobody to be giving advice, of, okay. but I would give the advice of if you are either a reader of poetry or a mm-hmm. writer of poetry, come to it with a sense of prayer.
0: All right. Right. A sense of prayer. That's what I All right. Yes. Okay. Where can listeners find your work?
1: Uh, My work, my website is Mm kashyanasingh.com and you'll find Mm -hmm. links to the TEDx talk, to all my books and a lot of the published work there as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Michael, and I think you posted that in, yes, I did. Uh, in the place that you've spoken about this, this program. Yes.
0: And I want to share this with you, too. Your book called Shelling Peanuts and Stringing Words, my first book was titled Shelling Beans. So, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. There is a connection oh, oh, wow. It is. <laughs> uh, all right. Is. Wow.
1: <laughs> What's next
0: for you, Kashyana? Where do you go from here with your work? Where do you go from here?
1: A couple of places that I'm trying um, I, I I mentioned that uh, <laughs> that and this is the first place I'm saying this out loud, so you get to All get right. the first preview of it uh, All I'm, right. I'm a mother of a of a one year old grandson uh, my yes. My manuscript in progress is called Witching Hour and it's mm-hmm. a poem about the life cycle of the first year. Of a child uh, developing, but through that lens, looking at all the other aspects that I always look at, which is life, death, uh, right, eternity, uh, thresholds, and all of that, but through the lens of a one-year-old, a two-year, a one-month-old, two-month, three-month. So that's that's the manuscript in progress.
0: Kashyana Singh, I want to thank you so much. This has been an amazing hour. <laughs> oh, thank
1: You Michael. took me on a journey. Likewise.
0: I thought I was going to take you on a journey, but you took me on one. And <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Not many people do that. <laughs>
0: I want to thank you so much. You're welcome back here anytime. Anytime you say, thank Michael, you I've got something I want to share. Can I come on? You have an open invitation.
1: Thank you, Michael. Right? Uh, thank you for the friendship. <laughs> thank you for the warmth yes. and the care. And I'm extremely grateful that we had this together.
0: Yes, all right then. Well, everyone, we are at the conclusion of another program. I want to thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the beautiful words of Kashyana Singh. Her book, Woman by the Door, is available now. Purchase it. It's incredible. I've got my copy. So again, as I share every week, let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. Good night, everyone. Good night, Kashiana. Good night. <laughs> Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com.